Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Hi, it's Ronit. A quick announcement that the short story collection I wrote, Home is a Made-Up Place, has just been released and is available wherever you get books. So if your bookstore or library do not yet have it, you can request Home is a Made-Up Place and they should be able to get it in pretty quickly. Now, it is a short fiction collection, and I realize that this is a memoir podcast, but I have written both, and so if you are interested in fiction and you like short stories, you might enjoy the collection. Uh, In addition, if you are in the Seattle area, I have a live book event at Third Place Books in Ravenna, and that will be on Tuesday, April 4th at 7 p.m., and there will be books for sale and a book signing afterward. In more book news... I will be in New York and Connecticut in April as well for a couple of book events. So if you are anywhere near Woodstock, New York, or Cold Spring, New York, I will be there on April 15th in a daytime event at the Golden Notebook and an evening event at the Butterfield Library. Lastly, on April 20th, which is a Thursday, I will be in Norwalk, Connecticut, at the library for Writers in Conversation, and that is an evening event. I will list all of these on my website under services and then scroll down to events. And I'll also have a quick link in Instagram at Ronit Plank in my bio. That's where you can find information on my memoir, on the short story collection, how to order, other episodes of Let's Talk Memoir, and any other recent projects. I think that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for sharing the podcast with your friends. There has been a recent uptick in downloads, and it seems that more and more people are tuning into Let's Talk Memoir every week, if not every day. So if you like the show, please keep on sharing and telling your writing friends about it. Post on social media. You can even leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful as well. Thank you again. And without further ado, here is this week's episode. Today, my guest is Stacy Freeman. She's a writer and journalist and the founder of Right on Track LLC, a full service consultancy dedicated to providing high quality content and strategy to individuals and businesses. Her writing has appeared in the Washington Post, the Lily, published by the Washington Post, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Market Watch, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, Women's Day, Town and Country, In Style, PBS's Next Avenue, AARP, She Knows, Yahoo, MSN, HuffPost, Pop Sugar, Your Teen. I'm laughing because it goes on and on. Grown and Flown, Scary Mommy, Cafe Mom, MariaStriver.com, and dozens of other well-known platforms worldwide. She lives in New Jersey with her three children. Welcome, Stacy. Hi, it's so nice to be here. It's very nice to have you here, and I'm eager to dive in and talk about your memoir. So can you share a bit about I Bought My Husband's Mistress Lingerie? Of course. Well, to start out with, the title is a spoiler, so this actually (laughs) did happen. (laughs) But I think the key to this book is why it happened and what happened after. So... The book really starts out with 
a scene from my life where I discovered that my husband and I were not alone in our relationship. And um, I found a piece of lingerie in his suitcase and um, I destroyed it. <laughs> and <laughs> without giving too much away, he pretty much said he was going to buy her another one. And I realized the writing um, was on the wall. And I just in that split second moment, I don't even know where the words came from, but I said, I'll do it and I'll buy her another one. And because, you know, I just didn't want to be this person that I was having this out of body experience looking at this, you know, kind of crazed person that would cut up lingerie. And, you know, that's where my story actually started. And how long ago has this been now since the official end of your marriage began? Um, it has been almost 11 years. Okay. And were you a writer before this all happened? I was not a professional writer. I had always aspired to write. And my mother will tell you, my first grade teacher <laughs> told her that I should be a writer. But it took decades to get to the point where I finally had something inside of me that was driving me to write. And um, I had tried my hand at it before, which, you know, there's no time wasted. These are all good exercises. And I had tried my hand writing a children's book. Um, I had written, you know, essays, but nothing, you know, really resonated. It wasn't jumping off the page for me. And, you know, although the exercise was useful, it was not something that I felt, you know, inside of me that I needed to take further at that time. And I, it was always on the back burner for me. I always wanted to write, but I didn't know how to, you know, turn that wish into a reality and, you know, and then eventually a reality that was monetized. Mm, yeah. So then when you began to do it, can you talk about what first steps you took and when, well, of course, you know, writers often, we are writers always. It's just when do we start sharing the work and when do we start publishing it and maybe when do we start getting paid for it? So when did you start to devote more time to it and realize, because you, you went through a lot of, you know, trauma and upheaval in your personal life. And I, I think there's that idea that when we are hurting and when we're suffering, there's so much fodder to write about. There's so much material. And then there's also the idea that sometimes we don't have the bandwidth to sit down and organize it or really even feel secure enough sometimes when we're going through really hard times to spend the time to create it into something, turn it into something that people want to read. So I'm curious when you began to put down the material like on the page and decide to share it with the world. Okay, so a lot of this happened during the time that I was separated and then, you know, divorced. So that was a period of about it started January of 2012 um, when I first realized everything that was going on. And my divorce was final in June of 2013. So, you know, not quite two years, but, you know, I, I was separated and getting used to this whole idea of single parenting. One of the things that was going on for me is that my ex-husband was living overseas. He was living in Hong Kong and he was commuting for the two years Prior to the time when I found the lingerie, he was commuting back and forth to Hong Kong. Um, we were married, but he was working most of the time over there. So that was putting a strain on our marriage. So when this all came to light and I was separated, 
you know, the idea of going back to work, I had been a stay at home mom for years. You know, my kids were 11, 10 and six. I had been home for many years raising them and we had lived overseas together with two of the kids. Mm. We came back with a third. I hadn't worked outside the home. So now all of a sudden I'm separated and I had to really revisit the concept of having to go back to work. So I have a law degree. I graduated from Boston University School of Law in 97, but I had never practiced law and nor did I want to. And I worked outside the field for about a year and a half um, and then I was pregnant. So I never really had developed this career. But one thing I did know was that I didn't want to practice law. However, when I started toying with the idea of going to work after my separation, I had to really figure out, I have this law degree, what do I want to do? So I toyed with that for a little bit, but it still wasn't speaking to my soul. And, you know, after my divorce, I started, I had written one essay and I showed it to a friend and I was saying, maybe this could be the first chapter to a book. I don't know. And, you know, I kind of put it aside. But when I got divorced, I sat down and I'm like, I said to myself, I'm going to start a blog. And I'm, I did it with the intention not to um, tell my story necessarily, but I, that was part of it. But I also intended it to be an online resume of sorts where I could kind of showcase my capability as a writer. Mm. And I, that's how I always described it as an online resume while I was telling this story, which was you know, some of it had happened, but some of it was very much of it was still unfolding as I was, you know, beginning to date and kind of was alone parenting these children and going through all of these experiences. So um, I started a blog and I remember you talk about that moment when you share it with the world. I had that one essay where I had showed it to a friend and she was like, I don't know, you know, you don't really sound like you're in a great place. And I wasn't, and she was absolutely correct. So that I had put aside, but I had a dating experience and I wrote, you know, a very long essay for, it was probably like 2000 words. And I submitted somewhere just to see what would happen. And someone suggested to me to start a blog. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, you know, this is a good idea. And I started a blog. I came up with a concept and you know, I started, I went back to that essay that I had showed to a friend and that became the first essay, which I didn't end up using in the book, but it kind of propelled my blog. And after that, the essay that I had submitted was on the blog, you know, the dating story. And, you know, it just kind of unfolded from there. But I remember sitting on the floor of a hotel bathroom. I had taken my kids away um, to Houston for, you know, a long weekend. And then we were getting on a cruise ship. And I remember mm. the kids were sleeping and I was sitting on the floor <laughs> uploading my blog and mm -hmm. going, oh my God, I cannot believe I am doing this because yeah. I was always well-versed in, you know, the concept of not airing your dirty laundry <laughs> to other people. And there I was sitting, you know, telling these very personal stories and experiences that were happening to me. So, um, you know, you kind of just have to, in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to write. So, 
Yeah, so it was, it was like a big watershed, right? Is a totally big, big decision to do that, right? But then after you did it, uh, did you have regrets, or did it feel, or did it feel great, or both? It felt empowering because people started to read, and you know, I'm I have a much more of a reserved personality until you get to know me, and it was just you know, I had people walking up to me telling me, you know, they were reading my blog, and it wasn't just divorced people, and it. You know, it, it was married people and I was getting um, traction from other publications and I had started submitting essays over, you know, the course of the life of this blog, which ran for two years. But I, I gained traction and I was getting, you know, emails from people telling me strangers that, you know, what I was writing really resonated with them. And, it you know, it had in some respects, you know, one person had said it had really changed the course of his life and he mm. had stopped a certain behavior because of what he had read and about my experience. And it just took on a life of its own. And during that time, I had started, uh, a, you know, same friend that had read the essay said, you know, she'd come across something on Craigslist, an ad, you know, looking for a freelance writer. And she's like, you should, you should, you know, give this a try. And I did. And that was my first paid assignment. And not that long after that, I formed an LLC and I, you know, created a website and said, okay, this is what I'm capable of doing. And, you know, it ranged from blogs to press releases. And, you know, I I had a laundry list of writing services that I offered. Mm. And over time, you know, given my legal background, I started working with uh, lawyers and, you know, in content marketing. So it just, the business grew from there. Yeah. So, I mean, you make a living from writing. I do. This is right. not, you know, <laughs> it's not a gig. Um, you know, I do make my living from writing, but I always had this body of work sitting there. So during that two-year period, I had the blog that ran and, you know, there were times when I wrote for, you know, I would say thousand word, you know, blog posts in, you know, a week. So I had this um, extensive body of work. Plus I was writing, you know, for some other publications and it was always sitting there, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, in a computer file, what am I going to do with this? And I went back to it during those years, just, I wanted to create a book, but I didn't quite know how, and I didn't, you know, there was just so much of it and there were listicles and I, I didn't know what to do with all of it, but there was a story there. Mm-hmm. So after going back to it sporadically over the years, I finally got to a point where it was in a place where I was comfortable submitting it and I didn't really know where to submit it. And someone referred me to unsolicited press. Um, I had spoken to a writer, you know, I had approached her online and asked her a few questions just in general about publishing and she had suggested I try this publisher. You know, I didn't know her. I didn't know them. And I just, you know, like anyone else submitting a manuscript, I, you know, sent them a letter and prayed <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> hoped for the best. And about four months later, uh, you know, I was sitting on a freelance job and opened up an email that started to read like a rejection. And, and I was like, ugh. And I read the second paragraph and, you know, the words were something like, but we like yours. And I I almost jumped out of my chair. And that was close to three years ago. And um, 
you know, right before the pandemic. And it took another life after that, as you know, mm-hmm. in the editing process. And it came out just recently. And it's, I, I can't even tell you, it's like closure, but a new beginning. And it's just an exhilarating experience. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to Unsolicited Press and just to all the people that you know, read over the years and have been so supportive. It's just an unbelievable feeling to have to create something for kind of posterity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I I feel like I know Unsolicited Press. I had a guest on my other podcast who was published with them a while ago. And I want to tell them to fix their acceptance letter because you were really worried. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, I totally know what you're saying, though, when that happens. Because if you're used to, like, some of the essays I've sent out and stuff, if you get rejections, you're just like, all right, here's another one. And then you start reading it. You're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. They want it. So, yeah, um... it kind of started out like we get a lot of submissions. I'm like, and I just rolled my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we get a lot of submissions and that, you know, normally it takes the shape of, you know, <laughs> so we can't accept everything. And then yes. it, it just, it was great. Like yeah. it was a, it was a wonderful moment and very memorable yeah. for I'm me. I'm sure you'll never forget that. I know it's such a no. <laughs> So can you talk about the editing uh, process, how you and your editor or editors went about, you know, cutting materials or reorganizing it and how you made your choices when it came to organizing the sections? Right. So years ago, um, I had worked with an editor that I knew and I hired him and I had this huge body of work. And I said, you know, can you help me organize this? And, you know, we worked together for a little bit. It was still when I got done, it was better, but I still was not comfortable and I still felt it was too much. And um, I just, you know, I still was weeding through it even after that. I wasn't comfortable for whatever reason and Mm. something, you know, when something just doesn't sit with you well, I didn't feel like it was ready. And anyone that's ever written before, you know, you know, when you're comfortable sending something out and it just wasn't there. So that process was very helpful in the evolution, but that was part of it. And so I kept weeding out, weeding out. And I think by the time I, you know, I had I had gotten advice from somebody else who had, you know, gone through and said to get rid of the listicles, even though they were not just listicles, they had an essay component to them. Uh, but I just to tell a story, it didn't seem to fit. And I don't know, maybe I'll do something with it at another point. But I pulled those as well. And it was kind of like, one by one, I was going through, I kept reading over, you know, reading and reading and pulling. And, you know, I had a list, I would print out all the essays, and then I would check or cross out. And Mm -hmm. finally, it got to the point where I was down, you know, to a certain number. And that's when I submit the manuscript. Mm -hmm. And I think when she went to format it, the managing editor at Unsolicited Press, a few months later, I think it came out to almost 500 pages. And so she sent it back to me and said, hey, you know, and this was also one of these kind of pivotal moments. She sent me back an email and said, we're at 500 pages approximately. I need you to cut it by and, you know, half. And I'm sitting (laughs) there going, oh, my God, I'd already cut it down. I I was sitting there like this is never going to (laughs) happen. You know, how do I get it down more? And so but what she wrote to me in that email was that. I know there's a story here, but it's buried. Mm. And I hung on to those words. And I even thanked her in my book in the end, because 
that really became those words. I, I hung on them and they became a driving force for me. And again, I made a list of the essays and, you know, started weeding out. Do I like this? Is this what I'm going to say? Does it fit? And, you know, little by little, I got the book to where it needs to be. But those last handful, that was hard. You know, it's because mm. you're saying goodbye to something that you wrote. Yes. But you really have to make sure that it's flowing. And that was yet another challenge was taking this and putting it in a format that it tells a story. And I always tell people, you know, that I'm advising if they're writing a memoir, you start at a certain point, you go back, you know, you start in the present or at a certain moment, not necessarily the present, but you start at a certain moment, you go backwards and then forwards. You meet at that point and then go yes. forward. And so I moved around essays, you know, during that period, just so many times. And in fact, the essay that the book starts with um, used to be in the middle. And because I was still very much wedded to the order that I wrote things in and you have to let go of this. And um, I remember the day that I I just had this epiphany, move it to the front. And Mm -hmm. it the whole story just took a different shape. And I knew I was on my way at that point. So yeah. And I mean, do you think how much time lapsed? Like how much how much time do you think went from between putting it together the first time and then having the perspective or the distance to know what to cut? I think when I first, the, the blog ran from 2013 to 2015 with this immense body of work and then other essays that were extraneous to it, which some of them are included here. And then I I would say maybe around 20. 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. That's when I worked with the person I hired, the editor. And um, I put it aside after that. And then I Mm -hmm. submit the manuscript in the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. So in November of 2019. So literally it was like three years almost to the day that this saw the light of day. But even from the three years, the three-year mark when I first submitted to getting to having a book, it just, it, it took on so many lives during that yes. time. And, you know, like any editor, you know, I work full time, I have three kids. So I had these deadlines along the way. And, you know, it's like most things I, I started like three weeks before the deadline, even though I had <laughs> six months and up till three o'clock in the morning and, oh. you know, lots of stress unnecessarily that I put on myself, but that's the process. And people work differently and I'm yes. organized with everything else but somehow with that and I I think one of the reasons why it was hard for me to dive back in each time and read it was it was such a painful time in my life so mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was editing somebody else's work and I had an assignment cuz I keep an editorial calendar and I stick to it and mm-hmm. I'm very good about that but because I had to revisit this period in my life I think it was that much more difficult to say okay I'm bracing myself. I'm going back in. Mm. And so I would work all day, you know, take care of my family. And then I would sit down and, you know, I could only do so much at a time and it was hard. And even like the last little bit, like, you know, in April I was, you know, in Cabo with my boyfriend and I printed it and brought it with me in this binder and I'm sitting there reading it. He would, you know, be out doing something and I'd sit there and read it. It was just, 
you know, it's like walking through an emotional minefield at yeah. times, but I, I, yeah, did it's you ever give yourself to... breaks? I mean, did you, for, was your strategy to push yourself through it? Cause this is, this is very relevant for a lot of memoirists. You know, what we're writing is so deeply personal and can be tra- traumatizing. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to put it. And, um, yeah, so I definitely gave myself breaks and that I think was part of the reason why when I had these deadlines, you know, I would say it was like the month before the deadline that I really was crunching Mm. and, you know, it was hard. It was just hard to revisit Mm. these moments, but, you know, at times I would sit there going, wow, you know, like, I can't believe I wrote this and I got through this period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have a sense of gratification. I did at least that I made it through because when I was writing it real time, it was very raw. And I think that shows um, in the writing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've been getting feedback from people who've been through similar experiences. And, you know, it definitely hits home. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting about your uh, acknowledgments, because I know it's funny (laughs) to talk about the acknowledgments, but I was struck by your warmth and generosity toward your ex in that final word from you. Did you feel this way about him when you began drafting the book? I mean, I guess that's a funny question because you just kind of said that a lot of the material had been had, had existed anyhow. But yeah. when did this warmth or generosity take hold of you? Well, I mean, I think that in itself was a process. Um, we're divorced. I had this trauma that I went through. You know, and I won't say that he didn't experience his own pain because he did. Mm-hmm. Still, even though he was the lever, he was still, you know, had decisions to make. And I think those were difficult for him. Mm-hmm. And I think the evolution of the relationship to where it is now, it took a lot of time and, you know, one step forward, two steps back. But we co-parent from 8,000 miles away. And um, we <laughs> wow, three... it's unbelievable. Every time you wrote 8,000 miles, I was like, where yeah. is this guy? He's in Hong Kong. Yeah, I figured, but. But we have three wonderful children that we've raised and Mm -hmm. we're both very proud of them. And, you know, they are who they are also because of him. And I think that from a co-parenting standpoint and from a divorce, you know, standpoint, like you, you, you have to at some point take a step back and, you know, you have to live your life. So how long can you hold on to anger? Mm. It, it just keeps you stagnated and um, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't do the other person, not that you necessarily care, but it doesn't do them any good constantly picking fights with them. Although, you know, you know, he went and lived his life. He wasn't really, you know, so much affected if I was angry at him, but mm-hmm. who it really affects the most are the kids. So when you talk about separation and divorce and co-parenting, you know, these are lessons learned and those moments when your children hear you fighting and they internalize it, it's heartbreaking. So learn from those moments. And I think that he and he and I both did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I do pick yeah. up his prescriptions, you know, still. <laughs> and I know it's so funny that people really they got the book and they turned right to the end to see oh, what no, I wrote. No. I, I've, been, I've been getting calls from people. I, it's like, that's where you went was to the acknowledgments. No, I actually so. read your book. I mean, I read your book and then I read the acknowledgments, rest assured. And actually, I would love you to read that section we talked about. If you could, I don't know if it needs much of an introduction because it kind of is standalone, but the one on page 145. Um, this chapter is called So He Cheated. Does that make him a bad guy? And I think, you know, 
going back in time, um, I think when I was writing this, it had um, stemmed from people making remarks about my ex-husband to me. And I know he's experienced the same thing. Um, but, you know, if people would say things and I think they were being protective of me. Um, and they, you know, oh, he, he did this, he did that, you know, this should happen. And, you know, they would speak negatively of him. And for me, that wasn't the answer because one act doesn't make a person. And mm. so it just bothered me in, and I didn't want him to be defined by this portion of our marriage and, and this portion of you know, our lives. I didn't want him just to be defined by that. So I wrote this essay at the time to kind of reconcile that for myself and hopefully anyone who was reading it. So I'll start, but, um, it starts. So the essay again is called, so he cheated. Does that make him a bad guy? Cheater. That is what I called him. The word effortlessly and thoughtlessly rolled off my tongue. The only label that came to mind as my husband admitted unrepentantly, he was with and committed to another woman. Undeniably, we had our problems, major ones, a lack of mutual respect, divergent goals, little interest in each other's lives, an all-around distaste for one another. But I never thought he would be unfaithful, not in a million years, not this guy, not someone I knew so well for so long. Yet, as I looked my adulterer husband in the eye, I was faced with reconciling a man's entire life with his recent behavior. Yes, in my estimation, he had done something reprehensible, but did that make him a categorically bad person? It was recently posed to me that if character is defined by, by our actions, then my husband is, by default, a bad guy. Even as I write these words, I recoil at the thought, cringe at such an absolute notion of humanity. The statement represents a line in the sand, a black and white classification of good versus evil and is a concept with which I am in conflict and wrestle to understand. Herman Hesse, in his novel Siddhartha, tells the allegorical tale of the Buddha as a young man struggling to comprehend such dichotomy. A member of the high Brahmin caste in India, Siddhartha feels so unsettled in his teachings that he renounces his scholarly life to wander in search of peace and enlightenment. His journey, which leads him to a life of asceticism, greed, and hedonism, then back to asceticism, illustrates that a man's life is the sum total of his experiences, and that is in the course of searching where true meaning lies. During the 26 years I have known my ex-husband, I witnessed this man work his mind and body to the core to provide for his family's well-being. I watched him hold his children in his arms minutes after they were born and revel in their accomplishments as they reached milestone after milestone and achieved their own hard-earned goals. I saw the way he once looked at me with only love in his eyes and how he bared his soul when he was vulnerable. Circumstances are different now, yet history remains. So I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's this generosity again, this kind of perspective of, of the hurt that you feel and the, the end of this family as you know it, but also this capacity to under to, to hold on to who he is as well and like who he once was for you right yeah and I think I mean it's hard it was hard to kind of come to that place I'm not going to say it happened overnight or that it was easy or that I wasn't angry yeah. I was very angry I was very hurt I had a, a lot of mixed emotions you know you feel like you hate somebody when they hurt you 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't hold that in me anymore. And I, I mm-hmm. don't think about him negatively. I don't think about him, you know, most of the time he's living his yeah. life and I'm living mine. So you get to that point, but it, it takes time and it takes, you know, healing. Do you think you got to that point before you started dating someone more seriously? I think that I think it just happened over time. And I think the dating was just, you know, ancillary to all of it. I, you know, I think my ability to be in a healthy relationship came over time because, you know, I was very damaged in a lot of ways from the experiences that I had. And I was vulnerable, Mm -hmm. which, you know, when you're out in the, you know, the marketplace, so to speak, you know, when you're out in the dating world, um, being vulnerable is not exactly safe for you. And you kind of fall prey to, you know, people who are not always operating in your best interests, and you don't know how to really Mm. protect yourself. So I think that you live and you learn. Mm. So I think, you know, again, time and healing. Yeah, it's almost like when you put it that way, it makes me feel that dating, the the things you need for dating and being a successful dater are almost Mm -hmm. completely opposite of the things you need for a successful relationship. You know, oh, absolutely. Like- I was a great dater. I I <laughs> was a great dater. I got plenty of dates. I was an entertaining date, but I don't necessarily think that I was relationship material looking mm. back. Um, I mm. really wasn't. I would date people far away and, you know, everything. I would date people because I knew it wouldn't work out. Mm. And yeah. almost oh, like yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it wouldn't work out. And also I was craving pain. It was like a familiar feeling to me. And so I was looking for it, Mm. you know, in retrospect, I really was looking, it was like what I knew. So it was comforting to me in a certain level, like I wanted to be in pain. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think many of us have to go through that. Many of Mm -hmm. us. Um, And I don't think all of us make it out either. So what was important for you? Like, what did you want your readers to take away or to understand about you? Um, that, you know, you are a work in progress and that, um, you know, you start from where you are. So don't beat yourself up for things that have happened in the past. You just have to move forward. And it's hard. Like, there's going to be difficult moments. There are still difficult moments. It's not like I'm walking around going la, 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 la all day. <laughs> um, and there's birds chirping. <laughs> so, um, you know, I I have my challenges. Um, you know, I always feel there's never enough hours in the day. And it's yeah. it's hard. And, you know, but I'm in a much better place. And I think that as far as writing, I think that someone of a friend of mine just sent me an essay to read and, you know, she had a great beginning and she really has something to write about. And I was like, keep writing. Like, this is great. Keep going. And I think that is the best message. Um, Just stay with it. Stay at it. You can do anything if you keep, you know, consistent with it, if you stay consistent. And, you know, when you're starting from nothing, you really do have to work hard and be consistent. You have to be the hardest person, hardest working person in the room. No, no one's opening doors, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. it's being a being a writer and, you know, trying to do this professionally. It's 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 lonely and it's hard and it's an uphill climb. And I won't even get started to entering about entering a marketplace when you've you know been away from it for a while 
that's its own separate challenge. And I've written over the years a lot about returning to work after, um, you know, time away and, you know, just lots of challenges, but they're not, it's not anything that can't be overcome yeah. with hard work. And that that's always been my philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm plucky. You're plucky. Um, <laughs> among other things. Um, so what are some of your favorite memoirs? That, or well, memoirs that helped you along the way, or books, books, craft books, anything? I mean, I go through different stages. I was actually, you know, you had posed that question to me in, you know, one of your emails. And I was thinking, you know. Yeah, one of my many, I, many emails. Yes. Um, I go through different stages. And, you know, I was looking at my bookshelves. And, you know, at one point I was like heavily into, you know, romance novels and biographies. I went through these phases. Or then when I was dating, I... God knows there were so many relationship books. I felt like, you know, if it, my shelf looked like, you know, Bridget Jones's. So um, it just, you know, it was, I was kind of laughing as I was walking around my house. But I think recently, you know, I, I do have a love of, of memoir and I read Made not that long ago. Mm. And I, I've picked up eclectic books, you know, just people that interest me. And I read Amy Fisher's book. You know, if I knew then, and I don't know if you recall who she is. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm reading right now. I'm glad my mom died. Yes. And, I was which just going to, my friend told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm deep into that. But I've picked up, you know, this, I think the timing was good for my book to come out because the whole genre of memoir and essays really seemed to kind of take hold in, you know, the past few years and, you know, I saw that Minnie Driver has a book out that, you know, came out a few months ago and I had I had bought and, you know, read parts of No One Asked for This by Cassie David, you know, Larry David's mm-hmm, daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are things that kind of struck me. And I had, you know, Julie Powell's book, um, Julie and Julia, you know, on my bookshelf. Mm, yes. And, you know, I was so sad to hear that she had I passed know. away. Yeah. I had I had that on my bookshelf because over the years I had looked at it. OK, how did this woman go from blog to book and you know I really was looking at it for structure and it just made me so sad um yeah yeah yes I know that's a very big loss in the writing community yeah yeah well thank you for those and I know you you've been chock full of advice but is there any parting advice you'd like to share for memoirists working on their books keep writing keep writing you can do this yeah, it's a hard process and you really have you're gonna, you're going to be revisiting parts of your life and you know that are probably not as pleasant as they are currently, hopefully, but you know, you learn so much and you see your own growth and that you know, that's very gratifying at the end of the day. Mhm. Thank you. Uh where can people find you, Stacy? Where's the best and you know, I'll link them in the show notes, but if you want to shout out a couple of places, Sure. Um, if you want to learn more about the book, um, it, you can find me at stacyfreeman.com. It's S-T-A-C-E-Y-F-R-E-E-M-A-N.com. I have my work website right on track, LLC. It's W-R-I-T-E. Ha ha. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. So I'll put those all in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for, for joining me for this time and sharing some of your story and your life. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. 
That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.